60 seconds, the station will conduct the test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Like when I went up to Syracuse, you know, for the first time, you know, uh, after people discovered that New Orleans and Louisiana were the same place. (laughs) (laughs) I guess people thought we were our own state or something. Scares me how they got into that college. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. People literally go and camp out there. People were camping out there. I think Tuesday even they were shown on the news. They set up tents. I don't know what kind of life you got that you can just blow off everything to go set up a tent on a on a piece of public area to camp out till Saturday to catch a parade. <laughs> um, but, the real question is, if it gets too cold, will they cancel the camp out and allow you to go sit inside the dome? Yeah. <laughs> The idea we shut down. No, we got to get to the office and make some law. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you cannot quantify it. We can do our jobs whenever. It doesn't matter. It's law. The only thing that dictates what we do is a calendar. And this is one of the days when we know we have nothing to do because the calendar says so. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Good morning, sunshine. <laughs> Good morning to you, sir. Uh, episode 15 of Two Sorry Excuses. The a bel- earliest recorded episode yet. <laughs> a belated edition. <laughs> So, um, so happy Mardi Gras. What do you, what do you say during Mardi Gras? Happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras, man. <laughs> How's the party treating you? It's all right. I mean, last night was the first real rough night, you know? I mean, the other two nights I was out there, I was just going to parades with my, uh, family, you know, and taking it a little easy. But last night, you know, I, uh, met up with some friends after work and, you know, one thing led to another, led to breakfast in the Camellia Grill at one one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're Cap rides home and having to get my car at some point today. So we're pretty lax. We don't um, we typically don't communicate much at all about show stuff uh, during the week. And then like whatever, we've talked about it Wednesday night or Thursday morning. We're like, Oh hey, we're gonna you know, we're gonna do the show this week? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Nine o'clock, eight o'clock, perfect. But for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of hit or miss because of um, I had surgery to start the year or to, to, to start the month. And then we had uh, maybe a game on a Thursday or uh, some type of conflict or whatever. But yeah. this week, um, I actually had something to do Thursday. So we weren't going to be able to meet up. Um, really on schedule anyway, but then uh, I get this text from you that says, yeah, oh, all right, man, listen, I've been meaning to talk to you about this because, um, you know, it's Mardi Gras and I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind the ball because I got a lot of stuff going, but like, how does Mardi Gras sneak up on you in New Orleans? Well, I mean, I didn't, you know, last couple of years I haven't been gone as wild on Mardi Gras anymore, so I wasn't thinking anything of it. You know, normally Wednesday would have been fine, but then this year, I went out to parades on a Wednesday, you know? <laughs> it just, it didn't sneak up on me. I mean, I guess it kind of snuck up on me because I was, I was really bogged down at work, too, so instead of getting in touch with you beforehand, I had a lot of other stuff on my mind, too. 
It's been a rough couple of weeks, man. Had the All-Star game weekend the week before. Last week I had a bachelor party in town. I haven't really had time to catch my breath yet. That's the real issue, you know? So, um, break, new, break Mardi Gras down for me. Because I thought, I thought I had it, but I'm, conf- I'm confused. What did you think it is? Well, I, I, I know it all culminates with, with uh, Fat Tuesday. Because yes, Mardi Gras itself. That is the last day before Ash Wednesday, and then the Lenten season starts, or the <clears throat> yeah Lenten season starts, yeah. I think. But I was confusing the forty days of Lent. This is how long it's been since I've been to church. I was confusing the forty days of Lent with the forty days of Mardi Gras. No, there ain't no forty days of Mardi Gras. All right, which which was always impressive. <laughs> Which I always thought would have been impressive to party that hard for forty days, but um, I think people would be dying if there was forty days of Mardi Gras. What's the official start? Obviously, the official well, end. Technically, the official start of the season would be January sixth, King's Day. Yeah, I, technically. Okay, so it is. A, it's a long. Well, yeah, it all depends where Easter falls because it's all dictated by the Catholic calendar. So some years it can be very early. Some years it can be kind of late. This is kind of like sort of in the middle-ish, I guess, March 4th, you know? Okay. Um, and the thing is, sometimes it can be, if it's in early February, sometimes it can be really cold out there. It was actually kind of cold Wednesday. So what kicks off? What is there an official well, start? Is there a parade or a pageant? Do, like on, um, I mean, I know on January 6th, what is it? They got some... Crew, it's not a real, you know, it's these people riding the streetcars. I guess they're technically the official start of it, but the official, like when it really kicks off, well, there's a this one that rolls goes down in the quarter. I mean, it's not that old, but it's a parade. It rolled the Saturday two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago during the All Star game. That's the first sort of like real sort of parade thing. But then it really gets underway the two Fridays before, like a week ago from yesterday. That's when the real parades start rolling. And then, and then, um, and then it really like the, it really starts picking up steam. Uh, Well, it used to pick up steam Thursday the week before. Now it's, being more like the Wednesday because they've added some new parades or whatever. And then, like, this weekend's really big. Like, today they have, you know, there's a few parades that are going to be running within the next hour on the Uptown Route. But then there's a huge parade in Demian, which is this big super parade. And then tomorrow they got a couple of parades during the day. And then another big super parade. Like, like now it's all on now, you know? All the way through, uh, basically, Tuesday afternoon, if you're just hanging out at the parades. So this is it. Everybody, Everybody's all costumed up, geared up, lubed up. Yeah, doing whatever you're going to do. I mean, I'm not going to be costuming or anything. Um, I'm probably not going to make it out Tuesday because I'm going to one of the parades, the big parade on Monday nights, this parade Orpheus. And see, they have these, like... The one in Demian, and then the one in Marbacus, and the one Monday Orpheus. These are like these super parades. And what they have after them, like, in Demian, I think they end in the Superdome. Uh, Orpheus and Bacchus, they end in the convention center. And you can buy tickets to these events that end there, you know. And you bring all your own booze and everything, and there's tables everywhere. Oh. And they, and they have, like... You know, I was at the Bacchus thing. The one other time I've been to one of these things, and Casey and the Sunshine Band were playing. <laughs> you know, it's like a big party. And the thing is, it, it goes late into the night, which is probably why I'm not going to make it anywhere on Tuesday itself. You know, because Tuesday's basically done as far as the parading. All that's done by mid-afternoon. You know, you get out there, the parade start in the morning. Even the hardcore boozing, like the people that are down here just to go get drunk in the quarter at midnight they come and shut the quarter down right because it's wednesday wednesday is ash wednesday yeah, it's the tradition it's the one day the quarter's ever shut down the cops come out and they kick everybody off the streets at midnight uh when it turns into ash wednesday you know so it's like sort of like by the time you get to mardi gras day 
I mean, for a lot of people, and and me traditionally, usually by the time we get to Mardi Gras Day, it's like you're freaking kind of, you know, you've been through the grinder already, you know? Is it something that, like, you start as a kid, and then you just progress through the, you know, the, the evolution of a Mardi Gras participant? Yeah. yeah, like, when I was, I was actually having this conversation with somebody last week. Like, when I went up to Syracuse, you know, for the first time, you know? Uh, after people discovered that New Orleans and Louisiana were the same place. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess people thought we were our own state or something. Scares me how they got into that college. But uh, they they would always ask, do you go to Mardi Gras? And I have to explain, it's like, you don't really go to Mardi Gras. It just kind of happens, you know, you get off of school for it. It's just something you do. You know, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to go out to the Mardi Gras. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe if you're from not from here, you go to Mardi Gras. But if you're from here, you just live it, man. And like, um, I really remember when we were young, you know, like, you know, five, six years old, that those were the best Mardi Gras. Because we would go up, we had um great aunt and great uncle who lived uh, near the Uptown route. We'd go and visit them. We'd go watch the parades near them. And then um, my dad had an El Camino. <laughs> One of those sweet. cars that it was, a, it was a car, but it was a truck. Yes, yes. He loved that thing. And, you know, the crazy thing is he loved that thing. And it was tape. My mom was following him. This was like 20-something years ago to take it to get fixed. You know, and um, she was following him, and it caught on fire, and that was the that was the end of it. You know, probably a mile away from the place that was going to fix it. What? Uh, wait, what other family car did you have? Because there's like eight Livicary kids. Oh, we had we had a station wagon at the time too. All right, and eventually my mom upgraded to Suburbans when that became a thing. Like in 1984, I think she got the first Suburban. Okay. Um, but uh, no, the funny thing was. Uh, I remember he'd we'd all ride in the back of the El Camino because back then it was cool. Right, there was only four of us, you know, because my two older brothers weren't doing that crap with us. Okay, I mean they were teenagers and beyond. Um, and you, when we come back, we would go along to head back to the house in Metairie. We we go along uh, a road called Leak that turns in when it crosses in Jefferson Parish River Road. You know, it's all like yeah. Right along the levee, you know? Yeah. And all these little kids would be on the street, you know, like um, little neighborhood kids, and we'd be throwing them the beads. <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff we caught. Uh, and then when we get home, <laughs> then when we get home, the four of us would set up on the patio out back, and a couple of us would get up on the picnic table and act like we were in the float, and we'd throw the beads to, the, <laughs> to our siblings. <laughs> <laughs> and that was always what that that's the best Mardi Gras to me. And even though I know I wore other costumes, we have one picture that is you know, my mom once once she had so many kids the pictures weren't being taken too often because she was just too damn busy. Right. Uh but there's this one photograph and all I know we're back at El Camino, I'm and I'm in one of those Batman costumes. It was probably the same one I wore for Halloween, even, you know, because that's what you would do. You know, you get a costume and you're like, oh, I could wear this for uh, for Mardi Gras, too, you know? So it doesn't matter. It, 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 there's no, there's not necessarily a theme or, um, you know, some type of tradition. Whatever you, you like to do. You, you just do your thing. I mean, one year I, one year I dressed up as a, as a Saints football player because when I was little, I asked for a, Saints helmet and uh, jersey for Christmas. The Rawlings one, not that cheap Hutch crap. Yeah, yeah. You remember those Hutch? Yeah. You remember the helmets, right? Yeah, and the Hutch ones were so cheap. The Rawlings one was like a real helmet. We're for real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't use it to play football, but it was like, you know, that Hutch one you could break, you know? But the Rawlings one had such, uh, I don't know about down there, but up north, when it would get cold, the it would hurt to put it on because it wasn't flexible and the the ear pads were like that. Wait, 
Yeah, those ear pads on those things were like those rigid foam things. Yeah. Oh my god. And I guess yeah. the DeSantis kids had big heads. So. Well, and the funny thing is, I think the year that I was in that um, Saints outfit, that was probably '83, maybe, and it was like a freeze or something. It was a really cold, really bitter cold Mardi Gras day. You know, yeah. So I do remember that the wind blowing into the ear hole of my <laughs> of my helmet. Uh, but those were good times. So know? what do you do? You get dressed up and then you just go perch out at one of the parade routes. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't really think you should be getting. There's people that get dressed up. I I don't costume. And you know, I haven't costumed since I was a kid. But I don't really think most people aren't. Most locals and stuff aren't costuming on the days leading up to. That's generally something you do uh, on Tuesday itself, you know? Right. I If you see a lot of people in costumes right now, it's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of tourists and college kids and people not from here, you know? What, um, uh, who participates in the actual parades? Well, you you can join these crews. Yeah, some of them are more exclusive than others. Like uh, some are more expensive. They like, uh, for example, Rex, which rolls on Mardi Gras Day. That's the king of carnival, Rex. Anybody just can't join that crew. You know, like you, a you gotta kind of be like uh, wealthy with a certain status. You know, like. Uh, like not new money either, you know. That's like people who have like uh, IV and stuff behind their name. <laughs> and in fact, they used to be, and it's still a tradition on Mardi Gras night. The court of Rex meets with the court of Comus, and Comus is probably I think that was the oldest parade. But about twenty something years ago, Comus was is very secretive. No one ever knows who the king is. You know, they wear. The guy wears a mask. No one ever knows who the king is. You just know he's some real rich, old money asshole. That's about all you know. Um, and they're very secretive. Like, you got to be very waspy to be in that crew, you know? Like eyes wide shut kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, they're super secretive. But, uh, I mean, I don't think they're doing uh, friggin' orgies and shit like Fidelio. Yeah. <laughs> No anything rit- like that. No ritualistic killings. No, but um, but you definitely have to be uh, whiter than a piece of uh, printer paper, uh, <laughs> with probably skin just as thin as that too. Um, but twenty some years ago, city council in New Orleans, or uh, it was a predominantly black city. You know, they start. A couple of the city council members start causing uproar, like, this is ridiculous. We got these racist clubs, you know, they discriminate against people, you know, and they got to start, they got, um, so they passed this rule where basically you got to sign some affidavit saying you're not going to discriminate or you won't be able to roll. And Comus would not sign the affidavit. There were a couple others that wouldn't sign it, so they couldn't roll on the city streets, you know, cause they're like, we can't, we're a secret organization. And, and they have, they had the black ball system and stuff where if one member, if you applied and one member said they didn't want you in, you were out, you know? Okay. So Comus does not roll anymore, but they still exist. They don't roll anymore because they refuse to say to, to sign anything saying they won't discriminate. And, um, to be honest with you, I think all that's a bunch of bullshit anyway. You know, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's a private club. Yeah, well, their whole thing is that they're rolling on city streets. But what I'm saying is it's just like when they're... Um, when they're gonna... Anytime they want to... Uh, you know, end discrimination these private clubs, it's like... Who is the pro... Which... Which ill are they trying to concern uh, cure when rich assholes don't want to allow people in? You know, they wouldn't let me in. I guess they'd be discriminating against me because I'm not wealthy and waspy, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't understand the point of enforcing it on them. I guess Rex must have one or two black guys because they still roll, you know, uh, which is 
you know, find, like find a needle in a haystack because those people are pretty, those people are pretty white too. Um, <laughs> and I don't think most people are dying to hang out with the people that are in those clubs. Yeah, but, what's what's that old saying? I wouldn't want to be part of a club that would have, that would me, have as me as a member. Member, yes. Um, but there's other crews you can join where, uh, and generally you're going to pay a thousand dollars plus for the membership dues and some throws, but then, you know, to really do it up, I guess you got to spend a lot more money on the throws. It can get, it can get a bit expensive, you know? Now, see my experience, um, with uh, Mardi Gras festivities are, are the opposite because living down in Curacao, they celebrate carnival. Yeah. So same, same time period. And, and, um, you know, I guess same backstory and they have a similar, um, you know, kind of a similar MO there's groups that you join and then, you know, there's a kickoff parade, then there's a teen parade, then there's a tween parade and then there's, you know, a kitty parade and like every couple days there's something and, I think it all goes along the same parade route and you buy stands and you can sell t-shirts to your participants. And if you have your t-shirt, you can get in the stand. So that's how you watch it. But the real prestigious um, participants are in the crews that are marching. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's probably a similar scene, except it's a Caribbean Island. So yeah. all the white people are the outsiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And um, I was lucky enough one year we we were working at Oasis and we had obviously hired a bunch of locals, um, you know, as our as our sales staff and our customer service staff. But at one point we were kind of thin on Americans, so we were promoting up through the ranks of of local folks. And you know, we'd been down there ten years, and 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 during that ten year period. You know the, you know technology increased, so you get a better, you know better class of worker, and we had a good reputation, so we had awesome staff, so we had promoted a few of the locals up through management type positions or you know at least supervisory positions, and um, had a lot of interaction with them, you know not only professionally but that spilled into personally, which didn't always yeah. happen down there, so. Um, the guy I lived with Mick, a guy from Jersey who I had brought down, and we kind of, uh, it was a young guy, and we roomed together, and we, you know, we hung out. We had worked our, I don't know if we got invited or we worked our way on to uh, a float of one of our, um, one of our manager guys played drums in a band that was backing one of the major crews um, that was in the parade. So we got to hang on the on the float and we were literally the only two white guys in the parade and we were almost as big of a spectacle as you know some of the crews and 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 yeah. costumes marching through because we stood out but this was my problem with carnival as was always my anticipated problem with Mardi Gras is where am i going to piss oh um you know, they got uh, this local group uh, that does all these New Orleans songs, Benny Grunch and a Bunch, and one of their famous uh, songs is Ain't Nowhere to Pee on Mardi Gras Day. Right, because, I mean, I've been down there for, um, I've been down there for a couple big events, and, like, I guess you're wrapped up in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the festivities and, and, you know, you kind of swept up in the emotion of the activities, but I, I'm like a four year old. I have to piss about every 20 minutes. And when I'm drinking, it's about every seven minutes. So I was always afraid that I'd get caught out in the middle and, you know, and, and yeah. have to go find some place to piss and wouldn't be able to, to find it. Well, you know what? Um, there's people down here that ride in parades Hell, my mom, she's a nurse, and other nurses that ride in parades, they 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 put catheters in. You know, when they're in the parade like on the floats. That's genius. And then they also and this this just grosses me out. Um 
they got people that market they they put a Mardi Gras spin on it, but they basically are selling Depends. You know, and that just that totally grosses me. Yeah, that's you get marinating your own filth for five hours. A catheter's one thing, although much more painful. But Depends yeah. is is kind of gross. Yeah. What I ended up having stuff to, like that. We didn't even think about that. We didn't when I was on the float, and we were obviously getting wasted, and we were having a good time. But at some point during the parade, I had to jump off the float and run into the crowd and and find a building to piss around. And um, well, how long can a parade in Curacao wind for? I mean, I don't know. It seemed like I mean, it's a- not that big of an island, you know. It, no, you're absolutely right. But it seemed like hours. And what we started boozing, like you know, obviously in the morning. Well, and of course, because then you got to prepare for everything. So you're boozing while you prepare. Exactly. And we yeah. um, and we didn't have much to do. We were just guests on the float. And eventually they gave us some tambourines and, you know, some maracas to play so we could be part of the, you know, the festivities. But otherwise they were just like, okay, stand over there and stay out of the way. We've been doing this since we were four. We can figure this out. Just don't break anything. But I guess there's so maybe the parade route is so small, but there's so much traffic on it that it's a very slow moving parade. Oh, I'm sure. Because everything's slow moving in the Caribbean. But I jumped off to go piss and I got kind of turned around in the crowd. And when I came back out onto the parade route, I had lost the float. But that's who I came with. And when the, the parade takes place on the west side of the island. Yeah. Even though the island's only 11 miles long, to get from the west side to the east side when you have no transportation, when when you're drunk by yourself during carnival, is nearly impossible. But luckily, they saw me and, you know, kind of waved me down. But I'm chasing the float. I'm in the middle of the parade chasing the float, like, rerun from what's yeah, happening. Yeah. Luckily enough, I had timed my piss that that was the only time I had to jump off the the float, the moving flatbed. You flailing your arms like rerun? I was, I was, I was because I didn't want to be left out there by myself with no way to get back, or worse, no booze to consume until the end of the parade. So, um, it was a good time. I'm glad I did it. It was one of those things that, like, you know, you kind of bank it and. Um, yeah, you know you can, you, you know you recall it fondly. But I always think it's cool. The thing about New Orleans, I think that is so cool, is that it's it's not just an event, and it's not just part of the culture. It's it seems to be, at least from my perspective of folks that I know down there, it universally accepted as you know as a as a happening. Yeah. See, that's the problem with living in Jersey is that, um, you know, we live right on the shore. So you've got Memorial Day. You've got, you know, Fourth of July. You've got, you know, Labor Day. And, you know, the the, the season is truncated into, you know, a three-month window in which not only do you have to enjoy it yourself, but you have to make money on it from you yeah. know, tourists coming in, day trippers, um, suburbanites, etc., but there's this just total Jersey curmudgeon that's like, ah, fucking Memorial. Oh, I can't wait for Memorial Day, but fucking Memorial Day. That's when those assholes from the city come in. They ruin everything. But like, nobody appreciates the fact that they're bringing money into. Yeah. And the- I mean, I like Mardi Gras a lot, but I mean, I w- I'm not the only person that gets a little frustrated with all the tourist influx. The problem is all the people that don't know where the fuck they're gone on the roads. <laughs> yeah, but you guys seem to handle at least from a third party perspective. Well, it's- yeah, I mean, New Orleans is good at that. They're good. At the, the, I mean, it's a way of life, you know. You, you deal with it, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that's the difference. And all that stuff, and they're good at dealing with large influxes of a hundred thousand people. Yeah, you know? I think I think that's the difference. And you not only do you deal with it, I think you take advantage of it well. In yeah. terms of turning that tourism into the benefit of the locals. All yeah. the locals in Jersey do is bitch and moan about how much it sucks. 
And then before you know it, the season's over, and then they're bitching and complaining because the season's not here. Yeah, well, that's kind of that that sucks then because here, like, even though you might bitch about the tourist or whatever, all the locals are still partaking in the uh, in in the festivities. They're just doing it differently than what most of the tourists are doing. Most of the tourists are going to be focused on the French Quarter thing and stuff like that. But you know, if you're a local guy with a family and stuff, you're more focused on the parades and all and being on the route, you know, not going downtown and blacking out, you know? So everybody's got their own thing, you know? That's cool. So it works that way. Um, I mean, funny thing is, uh, yeah, I, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to join one of these crews and I really wanted to do it. Cause the guy was like, Oh, I got people that, uh, you know, we need to fill a few spots. So I asked a few friends of mine, you know, and people were like, oh, sure. Oh, I'll think about it. And then it whittled down to the one guy who was like, all right, he's the only guy to do it. I was like, good, because I want to get him and start doing this. And then, of course, you know, his succubus. Um... <laughs> Long story short, he had the bail and I never joined. And it's kind of depressing because you just can't go do that stuff by yourself. You know, even though a guy asks you to, to join, you're not really buddies with him. It's something you want to do with at least one friend, you know? Right. But, um, so that's kind of um, disappointing. Uh, one thing I want to set clear, too, because I don't want you to think that every crew that's rolling down the streets a racist friggin' wasp club. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they, uh, they just wear white um, capes and hoods, right? Yeah. Isn't that the traditional Mardi Gras garb? Yeah, exactly. They're all they're all dressed like ghosts. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the more well known and prominent uh, parade organizations is the crew of Zulu, and they were started like over a hundred years ago, basically by black people mocking the whole white carnival thing. And this is a black crew, but now they actually do have, you know, white people can join. You know, I've known, like my boss, he's he's a very rich white guy, and he actually rode in friggin' Zulu one year. Uh, where, whereas his dad, who is a, a, uh, a wealthy white man, rode in Rex. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of interesting there. But they, they dress in blackface with... Uh, with like Afro wigs and grass skirts and stuff, and that's why they started was to mock, was to was to mock white carnival basically, and that they're more prominent than they're they're one of the most prominent. But I rarely get out for their parade because they roll so early in the morning. They're like one of the first ones. They are the first one to go on um on Fat Tuesday, and they go a different route because they go through like the old. Um, you know, through the old black neighborhoods. So they, back in the day, they used to have no solid route. They would just go, they would just meander. Now, you know, they, they can't do that anymore. So, But they still go a route that takes them through, like, um, through different parts of town than the, um, than the, than the traditional parades will go. So, you know, I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't going out to that part of town. I was catching it closer um closer in on the uptown area where they're not gonna be parading but they they decorate coconuts and that's the big score from their parade um i'm kind of disappointed because i'm probably not gonna make it to this year but i went a couple of years ago with my niece and the brother-in-law and they go they actually go into one of the areas where you don't see too many um too many white people you know and and it's the neighborhoods where, you know, it's the old black neighborhoods, and that's where they give out the good shit. It's a hell of a lot easier to get coconut in that area than it is when they come on St. Charles. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it really is. Because they're not, you know, especially being a big white man, no one's dying to give you a coconut. Well, what's the significance of the coconut? It's it's the prize throw, man. That's That's what you need to get. They... They get all the coconuts, like um, the members and I guess other people probably help them too. And they, they get the coconuts, obviously they drain them, and they shave them. 
you know, they shave all the hair off. Yeah, yeah. And then they um, they paint them, and they got all these uh, unique designs on them, and they're really cool. It's a it's a really cool collectible. It's if you can get a coconut, you're you're doing pretty well. My niece goes out there every year, and they always go to the same spot I was telling you about. Yeah, it's um, it's on a street called Jackson, and it runs through like Central City area, which is uh, not a place normal anybody would be wanting to hang out most of the time. And she gets she gets like at least ten a year. It's ridiculous, you know. So, how many of you? Um, how many have you gotten? In your lifetime. The year I went there with them, I only went to that spot with them that one year, and I got like six or seven. Holy you know? shit. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, damn, even I'm getting six or seven here. The big burly honky. You know? So if that's the if that's the prize, if that's the brass ring, why doesn't everybody just head down there? Cause well, because um because people want to stay where where they're more comfortable for one and where people people go and stake out pieces of the uh the neutral ground that aka a median as as everybody outside of New Orleans calls it they go and lay these ladders down they set up camps people want to stay where they are and most people most people wouldn't want to go back in that area anyway okay. you know they'd be all scared regardless even though the odds of anything happening to you on Fat Tuesday are about a billion to one, and but n- and no other parades pass there, you know. Like if you stand in that area, Zulu comes by. If you want to go see another parade, you're gonna have to be hoofing it a little bit, you know. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. How how long do you stake out like a spot? How long in advance? I- I don't do that at all. Have people, got, like in general, like the real hardcore. They got, they will have people who already have their stuff staked out for the next few days. You know, they get out there. Thursday's the day it really kicks in. Because I can tell you that when I was going to lunch, because my office is right near the parades and everything, you know. When I was going to lunch Thursday, you know, the first parade wasn't rolling until 530. And people already had, you know, everything laid out. People would cut. You know, they have these ladders with the seats on them for kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got them, people just have them laid down. You know, like, this is my spot. The really crazy thing is uh, this parade in Jimmy, and it rolls through a part of town that, uh, it's the only parade that rolls through Mid-City now. But it's it's the biggest parade. People literally go and camp out there. People were camping out there, I think, Tuesday even, they were showing on the news. They set up tents. I don't know what kind of life you got that you can just blow off everything to go set up a tent on a on a piece of public area to camp out till Saturday to catch a parade. <laughs> um, but, the real question is, if it gets too cold, will they cancel the camp out and allow you to go sit inside the dome <laughs> in anticipation? No. Although, <laughs> funny thing is, though... The other day it was like thirty something degrees overnight, and people are out there camping out for this parade that's today. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's to me, that's insane. Uh, I'll get out there, and well, I don't even have to deal with that because I have uh, a f- I have friends that have houses near there. So my buddy John and then my uh, my brother in law's family are out there. So if I want to go there, I can go there. So I don't even have to worry about freaking camping out but i just can't imagine anybody that would ever want to do that and there is no dome to take you in if it gets too cold <laughs> um is wednesday wednesday's a holiday uh, uh no work no school i have to work i my the courts are probably closed most most people get off monday tuesday wednesday yeah uh, little kids they generally get them off the whole week that's one thing that blew me away when i went to college I didn't get holidays like Columbus Day and Veterans Day and stuff like that because you you can't be taken off all those holidays when you have Mardi Gras. Right. You got to save them up. Yeah. I was like, oh, those are, those are just weird yank holidays to me. <laughs> yeah. Veterans Day. <laughs> yeah. President's Day. <laughs> yeah. President's Day. Yes. Who takes off for that? You know? I don't yeah. even want to know New Orleans' stance on Victory Over Japan Day. Victory over Japan Day. <laughs> well, 
The only people that take off for all that stuff, the people with the best jobs in the world, anybody who works for any government office, you know, because they take off for everything. Yeah. You know, even the look, they're taking off. Nobody observes President's Day here except for, like, Macy's. Yet the courts aren't open on President's Day. State courts, you know? Right. I don't know. Uh, more power to them. Uh, I mean, I guess we should move on. We've been on here almost 40 minutes now. I guess we should touch on the uh, craziness in Cameron last week. Yeah, unreal. Crazy week, man. It was a crazy yeah. week. I mean, the game's been dissected more ways in, than you can imagine. The uproar after the game was crazy. Um, the game itself, what did you think of the game? You know, I I was in a bad situation because I was out for a bachelor party, so I was sitting in a bar, uh, actually Lucy's, uh, you know, the same concept that Ben Cook took to Syracuse. I, I think it's the it's part of the original franchise. Yeah, it's part of the yeah, it's part of the original Lucy's things. Not not uh not the bastard son Lucy's like Ben's operation was. <laughs> <laughs> uh the game was very frustrating. And I don't know, it seemed like anytime they went inside we were being whistled for everything. Uh it was I, we let too many damn opportunities. We squandered too many opportunities. We had too many empty trips, particularly at the end of the first half. You know, we're up by like seven points or something. We're just, uh, we got to make shots, you know? Got to make shots. And Cooney has to get off the schneid. Uh, and as much as I love Tyler, sometimes he tends to miss little little easy shots in the lane too much. Yeah, I didn't see any of the first half. I listened to it um, online because Saturday was set up to be a perfect day. It was like 50 degrees here. I had the polar bear plunge uh, in the morning, and then I was going to come up back to Asbury, take a little nap, and yeah. then go out and get a bar stool and make a, you know, a night of it. But there were huge traffic problems getting to and from the 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 beach because this was really they canceled the plunge last year so this was the first real major event off season event since Sandy so uh, so the plunge was canceled because of Sandy last year? last year yeah okay. so this year they had a record turnout of forty five thousand people Damn. and there's only two roads in one coming from east west one coming north south the the north south road is which I what I would take um is is only a one lane road now literally one lane in both yeah. directions because they're still doing construction from Sandy and then the east west road is a bridge so it's four lanes of traffic goes down into one and during the summer it's a mess but in the off season they're not prepared for it so it took me what is a what is literally a 22 mile ride which would probably take 30 to 40 minutes um normally cuz it's you know it's back roads um Ended up taking me four hours to get home. Damn. So, I mean, I tried to do a little maneuvering. Otherwise, you know, it would have probably only taken me three. But um, I couldn't get out of this traffic, and I ended up just missing the entire first half. So um, I couldn't get a good feed. I couldn't get a good radio station. You know, we'd be up, and then I'd lose the signal, and then we'd be tied. Um, so I, my frustration was on a different level, but I did get home in time to watch the, you know, the second half and it was just kind of a whirlwind, you know, it was just kind of like we wait, waiting to break away, waiting to do something right, waiting yeah. for Cooney to get off the schneid and, you know, it just never happened. I'll say this much, as much of a bullshit call as that was, and it was a bullshit call at the end of the game. Yep. I I even though I know that had Bayheim not gone nuts, we might have had a chance to win still because there was ten point four seconds left and they would have had to throw the ball in. But if he doesn't do that and we do go to that scenario and we still lose, you know, I'd rather it this way, because at least he'd be like, you know, at least he went out, you know. In a blaze of glory. Somebody had a great comment. Um, I think it was somebody that we knew said that um, that 
he just took a big fat dump on Cameron, and he, we'd much rather he'd much rather have it that way than kind of wimp out, you know, with a four point loss, losing on free throws. But yeah. here, the I, I thought to myself literally earlier in the day, I said, "What if this game comes down to?" You know, a bullshit call, or what if this game calls comes down to a non-call? And I th- was thinking to myself, if it does, we've done something wrong because we can't keep putting ourselves in that position. It shouldn't come down to a call. It shouldn't come down to a play. And this game shouldn't have come down to a call or a play anyway. You know, we left too many opportunities on the table, yeah. and there were a lot of people who thought that that should have been a non-call, but it can't be a non-call. Something happened. It's either offensive or it's defensive. There was contact. It was legitimate contact. Who initiated it is the interpretation. If it's a non-call, I, I think that's just that's just too much of a pussy move in sports where, you know, the – the fan base wants the last two minutes to be this wild, wild west, you know, kind of yeah. let them play. Something happened, okay? I didn't like the call, but it was a judgment call. He made the call. So at that point, the question becomes, you know, what what's, does does Bayheim contribute to, you know, to, to the loss in his reaction? And I think at that point, he obviously, he's, you know, he's got nearly a thousand wins. He knows exactly what he's doing. I don't think he goes out on the court with the intention and the cognizant um, action of causing a scene, but I think he's seen enough basketball games to know that with 10 seconds left to have that play, to have that foul called and the momentum swing at that particular moment means he's going to lose the game. He he knows the game is lost at that point because he is such a savant that he knows what his options are five options before they need to happen. So he's thinking in his head, listen, that's it. We can't recover from this. Yeah. And at that point, I think not that he had a... Um, you know, that he knowingly went out to cause that scene. I think that was a legitimate reaction to, we just lost the game because I know we're not going to be able to recover on that. And you know what? I'd much rather that happen because I trust him knowing the situation and station of the game than... Although, I will say this. Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Uh, Because he hasn't apologized for it all, and he shouldn't, you know? I mean, it's the only time he's ever been kicked out of a game that counted in 38 years. But he, um, but he, he, he did. I read somewhere, apparently, in some interview early in the week, where he he acknowledged that he thought there was less time than that, which is a which, which uh, kind of contributed to flipping out, you know, where he thought there was less than 10.4 seconds left. You know, which means it's even more more likely they're losing because of the call, you know? Right. So, uh, hmm. but but I don't mind it at all. I, I think it's fine. I think seeing him get fired up, especially the way we've been playing, I think it'll, um, you know, maybe it didn't help him so much against Maryland, but maybe, maybe it'll help bring these guys out of their funk a little bit. Not yeah. that he's ever had to do motivational BS like that, but sometimes it's good to see, you know? Totally. Um, the I, I don't think there was a hangover effect from the BC game. I don't think that, you know, the two losses in a row, you know, are a trend. I don't think they helped with the Maryland game, um, but I think tonight is the game that determines whether or not, you know, we've turned it around, whether or not, you know, we're able to kind of shrug all that off um, and whether or not, you know, we're back on track because, yeah. um, you know, Virginia, first place in the ACC, uh, is on the line, although regular season certainly doesn't mean anything. I think by this point we've probably locked in um, the necessary buys or the maximum number of buys that we're going to have. Um, there's yeah. not enough room to maneuver within the standings. Um, but I think this could have a role in whether or not we get a number one seed at this point. Oh, definitely. You know, three out of four losses um, in conference going into the conference tournament. Um, 
you know, could have a negative effect on us. So I think we need to, to win this. Um, we kind of joked about Virginia, um, you know, last last chat uh, on how they're maybe a little overhyped and, you know, not necessarily um, worthy of the of the praise that they're getting before we really get into March. But, I mean, they're a legitimate team. I think they're, they're going to give us a tough matchup. Um, they shoot pretty well from, from three-point. Um, they... They rebound um, particularly well, but I think you know they've if- been a beneficiary of a easier schedule too so far. You know they've played. I think they played Duke once this year. You know they're definitely not playing because of the ACC being so big. They have unbalanced schedules, and Virginia is lucking out on that end so far. Yeah, but I mean, at the same token, I I would say that we fall in that category in terms of how our home schedule has broke. And I know that we're not getting enough credit for some of those neutral site wins um, against pretty legitimate opponents, the Baylors and Indianas. I'm only Um, talking about their ACC schedule. If you look at Virginia's out-of-conference schedule, they got blown out by 30 points to Tennessee, I believe. They lost to some other pedestrian teams. Like, but in conference, they've been feasting on the fact that the ACC really isn't that good this year. Yeah, no, they're, you know, and they've they're, been they've been able to dodge most of the better teams because they do have a weaker schedule than. I mean, I think their schedule so far has been weaker than ours. It's definitely been weaker than Duke's, and I and considering Duke uh, and Syracuse have both played UNC, I believe it's been weaker than UNC's. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's that's certainly fair, but I, I I think it just it really comes down to I think whatever game comes down to, if we do the things that we do well, we win because the things we do well are things that translate into W's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, Trevor's got to start hitting some shots. That's a big problem right now, you know, because it's. If he's not hitting shots, it's screwing up the other things we do well. You know, what threat is there if if our one outside threat can't make a shot, you know? Yeah. Like, that's kind of getting into our problems right now. And I think I think he will come out of that. And once he comes out of that, I think we'll start rolling again the way we were earlier in the season. I think we're just going through a rough patch right now, and that kind of happens. It's late in the season. Legs are tired. You know, you, I think guys get mentally drained a little bit, but but you work out of that. It's just you know you hit a little wall, and every team does it at some point. Florida's number one, but they haven't won any games easily in the past two weeks. You know, they almost lost to Auburn the same night we lost to BC. They they had to fight their way past Ole Miss the other day. They had to fight their way against Vanderbilt. And that's the number one team in the country, and they're not playing murderer's row either. It's just that time of year. Uh, we had a. It's interesting that you you mentioned the fatigue factor. We had a conversation early on in the season on whether or not relying on you know a freshman to play nearly forty minutes a game for you know thirty five games during the course of the year was going to have an impact. And I think you pointed out um, rightly so that the nature of High school basketball, the nature of club basketball on um, on that level is such that they're playing, you know, 40, 50, 60 games yeah. in a year. So they're, you know, they're used to the, you know, the grind. But now, and I bought it, I fully bought it. And, and you know, I thought that that was, you know, a pretty, um, uh, you know, a pretty strong point. But in looking at it now, I'm wondering if the spotlight, if the pressure, if just the the gruel, the grueling, you know, nature of the schedule, where you're playing, you're Tyler Ennis playing on, you know, state championship St. Patrick's um, basketball in in Jersey, or yeah. um, you know, or an AA, elite AAU team, you know, the the amount of travel and the amount of press and the amount of you know attention that you're getting. Is certainly a lot less, even at the biggest high school programs. Um, so the fact that you know we're only running six deep, um, you know he's only that's what's really killing us. I think right now is is our thin lineup. But I, you know we we still don't really show any uh, inclination that 
that Roberson is going to play any significant minutes or, you know, that um, that we have another plan besides, you know, shuttle Binjay around, you know, the three, yeah. four, the, the one, two and three, um, you know, to kind of spell everybody when needed. But what CJ Fair's played all but seven minutes in the last, you know, 12 games or, or well, something to that effect. As far as talking about the fatigue, I mean, I still don't think there. I don't. I mean, I, there's natural fatigue, and I'm sure he was getting fatigued even when he was playing on the the ridiculous AAU circuit. But I think, if anything, the effect is more mental because, like you're saying, uh, the games. You know, it's the attention, and that's the thing. Even though he can play all these games because he's used to it, it's playing all these games when they actually mean something. Well, that's you know, you know that. That's why I think the fatigue is more mental is 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 worse mentally than it is physically. Yeah, and logistically as well. That's why they say, you know, the Super Bowl is is an event in and of itself. It's the same game played on the same field with yeah. the same rules, but the ticket requests, the yeah. media requests, the circus the one hour that, halftime show. The circus that goes on around it yep. is is mentally draining. And, you know, I think you're starting to see some of that. And um, you know, uh, the the fact that he hasn't been around it before is you know, is a detriment um, but the fact that you know a guy like CJ Fair has been, uh, hopefully, you know, can kind of counteract that. And I, you know, the last couple games, Fair's really stepped up and you know really kind of showed his chops in terms yeah. of leadership. Um, and that's kind of what you'd expect. Um, I'm not worried about them though. I think I mean, this is just a rough patch, and they're going to work their way through it. You know, I mean, last year they were they went through a worse rough patch than this, and they ended up in the Final Four. Yeah. Yeah. Last year they literally weren't scoring points. They were scoring thirty something points in uh a couple of games where he scored less than forty points, you know? Like it's just the time of year. I'm not gonna jump off the bridge over it, you know? Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think you're right. And there's still a ton of basketball to be played. What do we have? Probably two or three games after um after today's yeah, we- game. We gotta play Florida State and Georgia Tech, I believe, at least, right? And then, and then we've got the tournament, which will probably get. Um, I think I haven't looked into it, but I think the ACC gives two round buys. Yeah. To the um to the league yeah, leaders. Yeah, they probably do because they probably invite everybody. Yeah. Just like the Big East was doing. Which really is just kind of a waste of time, and turns out to be, um, you know, turns out to be way too much bad basketball, but. That's the they're economics. Jobs. What are you going to do, you know? That's why they're doing it. That's why the Big East pushed to include everybody because they used to have teams they wouldn't go, and they were like, all the coaches push for it because it's like it, if you're a coach of a team, it's like you don't go to the tournament, you know, it's easier to get fired. Yeah. Even and- though your team might still suck, but at least you're playing in the Big East tournament. And it's a recruiting tool because a lot of those kids – you know, don't yes. get a chance to spend, you know, four days in New York City, um, get the tournament swag, get yep. a guaranteed game on national television. Like, the whole deal um, is, you know, is important for, you know, not only the, the team, it's but the players and, and you know, recruits yeah, as well. I mean, like, when the hell else would South Florida ever get to play Madison Square Garden? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I've noticed a huge rush uh or at least, you know, relatively huge rush of um, of folks headed down to um, Charlottesville for the game, which it seemed, to me seems like an odd road trip, but, um, you know, I guess makes sense. From Syracuse, it's actually a straight shot. You take 81 all the way down. Huh. Um, but there's a pretty big alumni base in D.C. that I think is headed down, and I've seen uh, a few folks from this area um, that are taking the trip. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a pretty good presence Although apparently it's a um, orange out, so how the hell are you going to tell the Syracuse it, fans from the Virginia fans? All right, it's true. It's true. So <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know I'm what gonna you're going to do. Frustrated because I'm going to have to be gone down to this parade. So I'm going to have to go to my buddy's house and demand that he put the game on. I'm never going to be able to pay full attention to it because everybody's going to be hanging out in, in his house and trying to, 
you know, talk to me and be social when all I want to do is watch the damn game. <laughs> so annoying. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to do a couple chores around the house and then um, maybe take the dogs to the park, but be at a place um, having a couple drinks and, and some good luck nachos. Hopefully by 3, 3.30, uh, be able to kind of settle in for the game and with, you know, a positive result. Um, make it a, a nightcap and, and, you know, kind of enjoy the rest of the weekend. Yeah, nothing's worse than stressing um, stressing all by your lonesome when everybody else is just having a good time around you and doesn't care. Yeah, it's one thing to, to be uh, isolated and stressed, and I certainly understand that, and that's how I've been watching most of the games. But, right, to be out in public where people have no interest yeah. Um, not only, not only, no, not only a non-rooting interest in what's going. Literally, no interest. What's yeah. uh, you know? What's the old sporting event on the old teletube there? Oh, Syracuse. Oh, I, yep. I, I've heard of them. Yeah, it's maddening. Yep, it's it's terrible. Uh, I do want to say this one thing though. I, I just gotta get back to one other thing I can complain about. So the holidays here and all this, but. But my boss wants us all to go in for three hours on Monday. You know why? Because it just kills him to have an office shut down for two days. Even though all it is is an excessive burden on us because parking down there will suck because people will already be parking their cars for the parades. But it just, he cannot stand the idea that the office will be closed. I'm just bitching about that right now because I got to let that go. He he views law as a as a as a concrete product, as if we are turning out widgets, and if the factory shut down, widgets will not get turned out. Yeah, all your clients are going to be preoccupied. Yes, they're not going to be doing anything. Everyone else is going to be shut down, but it kills him. Like the idea we shut down. No, we got to get to the office and make some law. You cannot quantify it. We can do our jobs whenever. It doesn't matter. It's law. The only thing that dictates what we do is a calendar. And this is one of the days when we know we have nothing to do because the calendar says so. (laughs) But he can't stand it. It infuriates him. So, no, we got to have a half day Monday. I was like, okay. So, in the middle of this 96 hours of friggin' drunken shenanigans and and fun and all that. We need to we need to pull three hours out of that to come into his office and sit here and be miserable. Could you take a personal day if you if you were so inclined? I only get paid if I go to work anyway, so it doesn't matter. And in fact, last year I just didn't go in, even though he was doing it, because I'm like, you know, it's I'm like fuck that, you know. It's only you know, three it's, hours worth of pay anyway. Yeah, like I'm like screw that, you know, like that. It's offensive to me, but. <laughs> But the problem is, uh, yesterday, he's like, you know, something we're working on. He's like, well, you know, write this letter and we'll look at it. I was like, you want to do that Monday? He's like, yes, because he was leaving to get out of there early. And I'm like, great, so I'm locked in Monday. You know, I wrote what I had to write, but I'm going to come in there. He's going to want to parse over it, you know, and, you know, change it. You know, oh, you didn't insult the guy's mother enough, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm kind of locked in for Monday now. It's kind of depressing me, you know. Well, listen. On a more positive note, as we um, as we kind of wrap up, um, big props to the Two Sorry Excuses Army, uh, who came out in droves to support uh, my polar bear plunge. I was about fifty or sixty dollars short of draping um, myself in orange body paint um, yeah. as the day came. But after the plunge, I got a few more donations, uh, including from yourself, a, a double donation from you. Um, random people paint, I'd never even met, listeners of the show, um, people I haven't talked to in years, all came out to support a really awesome cause. And at last count, I ended up, over 1500 bucks and 
you know, that's coming from a guy who doesn't have any, uh, you know, I don't have any social barometer. I don't, I don't make a mark um, when it comes to, you know, civic impact. I don't have a huge Rolodex of companies and, and business associates that, you know, I can draw on. These are all just, you know, legitimate Legitimate. There's no Bill Gates Foundation for e- you. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Ten bucks here, fifty bucks here. You know, a hundred bucks there. Awesome, awesome folks who came out. And I will post the picture on the Two Sorry Excuses website. Nice. Two Sorry Excuses dot com slash plunge. Did you, you to, did you get the did you go orange anyway? I, I didn't go orange anyway because by the <sighs> time that we got. Um, uh, close enough to make it a reality, um, I couldn't get my hands on the orange body paint. But I did wear an orange speedo covered with um, with skulls and crossbones. And I've I've kind of previewed the picture around, and some people are giving me shit because it wasn't necessarily speedo enough. But <laughs> listen, I'm I'm pushing 280 pounds. Anything without a shirt or knee length coverage. Um, I think any speedo is speedo enough for Matt DeSantis. On that note, (laughs) with severe apologies, serious apologies to Kirk's brother. We'll see you guys next week. Take care, Sam.